Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining us for the next installment of the Rocky Mountain Myrex Short Takes on Suicide Prevention podcast. I'm your host, Adam Hoffberg, and joining me today is Dwayne France. Uh, Dwayne and I met uh, probably a couple of years ago uh, through the VA Mental Health Summits and Community Mental Health Summits, and it's been really a pleasure getting to know him and um, hearing about the exciting work that he's doing um, to promote veterans' mental health in the community. Uh, Dwayne is the Director of Veteran Services with the Family Care Center, and he also writes and speaks about veteran mental health through his Headspace and Timing blog and podcast. So welcome, Dwayne. Oh, I appreciate that. Thanks, Adam. So uh, welcome, Dwayne. We're really uh, glad to have you on here today. Maybe let's just start off with a little bit about yourself and uh, what you bring to the space of veterans' mental health. Oh, I appreciate that, too. So um, I am a retired Army non-commissioned officer. I spent 22 years uh, in the Army, joined in the early 90s, so I'm one of those that uh, sort of spanned the pre- and post-9-11 um, uh, spectrum. Um, I have, um, when I was in the Army, I was not a mental health professional. Um, I was in logistics and, and uh, did a lot of support for light infantry divisions, um, was in the 82nd back in the late 90s. Um, finished up with uh, five separate deployments, one Iraq, two Afghanistans, um, North Africa. I finished out my career with 10th Special Forces Group and then Bosnia way back in the last century in the mid-90s. And, uh, and as I was retiring, I, I, we always think about, you know, what we're going to be when we grow up. And, and I really found that I had an interest in psychology in general. Uh, and then as I started getting into it, I, um, it, it, there's a natural progression, I think, between the sort of leadership, uh, you know, lending the ear and, and, you know, hey, Joe, what's going on? Um, to more formal training as a clinician. So um, I got my master's degree in clinical mental health counseling in uh, 2015. And I've been working with an organization uh, in Colorado Springs that's that's doing some different things, um, mainly working with justice-involved veterans in the Veterans Court. Um, I've been doing that since January 14, even through my practicum and internship. Uh, and then uh, continuing on with that uh, and, and really looking at how can community mental health providers uh, collaborate with and support the mission of the VA um, and, uh, and, and sort of we're all addressing the same needs. So currently I am a, um, a, a clinician, a practicing clinician, but also run our veterans programs for our community agency. But as you mentioned, I also write and speak about veteran mental health um, on my own um, podcast uh, and blog, uh, Headspace and Timing. Um, because we we mental health professionals don't always do a very good job in communicating to those that we're we're trying to help, um, and so I found it really beneficial to to be able to sort of balance both of those things. Great, uh, that that's a nice intro, and I really want to dive a little bit more into how you're sort of uh, wearing multiple hats in this uh, in this uh, scene. So you know, as a veteran, you've had multiple deployments and, and tons of experience. And then as a clinician, you're bringing um, this training and mental health uh, expertise. So tell us a little bit more about how that impacts your work. Well, I think that, you know, it's it's beneficial to have lived experience. You know, this is uh, even going back to, you know, uh, Young and the archetype of the wounded healer of, um, you know, when Young was, was looking around, he saw um, some of the best 
uh, psychoanalysts um, in, in his time um, had overcome the issues that they were trying to help other people overcome. Um, definitely not comparing myself to, to Jung or his contemporaries, but the idea of having a uh, the lived experience of knowing what it's like. You know, I can find Ramadi on a map, and, um, you know, I, I know what it's like to, to, to almost literally be hanging off the side of a mountain in Afghanistan. Um, but also it's, it's beneficial to, to sort of um, cut through uh, some immediate rapport kind of thing. You know, you, you come into my office, and it looks like a retired first sergeant's office, right? I got maps on the walls and coins on the table. Uh, and so it can help veterans really... Um, get to a place of, of understanding. And not to say that, that any clinician that needs to, um, you know, that's working with veterans has to be a veteran. Uh, I have many, many colleagues, both in and out of the VA, who never served in the, mil- in the military, and they're extremely competent in working with veterans. Uh, I just, I know that for me, I'm a native to the culture, so to speak, and we talk a lot about cultural competence. Um, and I think it benefits me to be able to say to the the veteran or, or sometimes the military spouse that I'm working with um, that I know the I know the lifestyle, but I also have this clinical training and and the you know the work that I'm doing as far as uh, keeping up with the clinical research and a lot of the stuff that's coming out of Rocky Mountain Myrec and um, and so having both the lived experience and the clinical training um, really makes it um, beneficial for a lot of veterans to be able to get to a place of, of ease soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. So let's uh, turn to your work with the uh, Veterans Services Family Center, Family Care Center. Um, I was really intrigued when you said you work with justice-involved vets, and, you know, that's definitely an area that we're really interested in, in covering and, and helping, uh, you know, sort of shed some light on what's going on in this area. So could you tell us a little bit about the work you're doing in that area? Yeah, so um, here in, in Colorado Springs um, is the Fort Judicial District Veterans Trauma Court, and this is one of the first trauma courts in the nation. Uh, of course, it started out, many who, who understand the, the history of the uh, veterans' courts, the first, I think, major official one was in Buffalo. Um, but this court was constituted in El Paso County and, and Teller County, 4th Judicial District, in 2009. And so um, we've expanded. I, I think we're up to six veterans' courts in the states. There's veterans' courts throughout the nation. Um, and, and the idea is is that uh, the reasons for misbehavior in you know, 2008 or 2018 are very different than the reasons for misbehavior in, you know, 1998, for example. I mean, we understand that exposure to combat and multiple stressors um, do uh, make an impact on on an individual's, you know, mental health, but also their behavior. Uh, And so as I was um, getting ready to transition out of the military, uh, in 2014, the, the court had already been there for a couple of years, and, um, and my agency that I came to work with had already been working with the Veterans Court in 2012. Um, there are many different Veterans Courts throughout the country, and, and they have different criteria, but one of the unique ones about the um, El Paso County Veterans Court here in Colorado is that we have a mix of participants in the court program that aren't necessarily eligible for VA services. Um, we have five military installations down here. We have, um, it's the only county in the, the United States that has five 
active military installations within its geographic boundaries. So we have a large military population. Uh, and then we also have those, those veterans that, um, you know, for one reason or another, don't qualify for the Department of Veterans Affairs, whether it's um, obviously we, we talk a lot about bad paper and the needs for, for those, um, to caring for those veterans uh, for whatever reason they got out of the service with that characterization. Um, but also, you know, sometimes we have the ability to um, maybe react quickly to sort of bridge the veteran until we can get into the VA. If there's, um, you know, some some specialized treatment that they might need that might have a, a longer wait period. Uh, and so we provide the community support in conjunction with our uh, Veterans Justice Outreach folks down here uh, to be able to give a um, mental health provider aspect to the team that's also trying to address the judicial aspect. So are you consulting with the team to help them sort of understand, recognize, and respond to some of the mental health needs of these veterans going through the program or? Yeah. I mean, and, and a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, what is the, um, you know, what are we dealing with kind of thing? We, we do, um, you know, preliminary assessments to, to determine if a, a veteran's even appropriate for the program. Um, not all veterans who are involved in the, the criminal justice system um, are appropriate for this type of of, uh, of program, um, and this program always isn't appropriate for, for every veteran. So we do some of that, um, but also it's a matter of if we're going to talk about veteran mental health, then of course mental health professionals um, can and, and should be involved. And, and when it comes to mental health, and especially justice-involved veterans' mental health, you know, we have specialty courts like, um, you know, recovery court for substance abuse, domestic violence court for those type of situations, DUI court, um, and, and they're very specialized in addressing that particular problem. Well, what we see with veterans is you have all of that combined in the same individual, right? You can have a veteran who has had a couple of DUIs, who has experienced some domestic crisis that resulted in a domestic violence charge, um, as well as having the, the psychological concerns, PTSD, TBI, purpose and meaning. Um, and so being able to have a program that sort of encapsulates all of that, and then me and my colleague, uh, as well as, uh, again, our, our VJO, are able to sort of give the, you know, the, the psychological and the mental health point of view for the team as a whole. Nice. Really important work. With your work at the Veteran Services Family Care Center, you also mentioned you work sometimes with the spouses and kind of take a more uh, holistic approach. Uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, some of the counseling work that you do. Right. So when we, and this actually is something that, that um, arose out of our work with the um, with the Veterans Court is uh, we all know that at least if a, a, an E6 or, or a, you know, a captain or, or um, you know, gets out of the military after six or seven years, um, they have support from the VA. Um, but many times those, those spouses um, or family members um, that served with that veteran um, don't have a lot of that same mental health support. This is a big gap that we see in the community. Um, my wife and I um, just celebrated our 20th anniversary, and she was with me out of four of my five deployments. Um, she experienced those deployments in a very different way than I did. Um, and so many times um, it, it can be beneficial to be able to have uh, an opportunity for, for military spouses to, to come in 
So our agency does, of course, uh, accept TRICARE. We do a lot with, um, you know, retirees and, and active duty uh, family members here um, with Fort Carson and Peterson Air Force Base. Uh, but we also have a grant-funded program uh, that uh, we're currently in our third year of um, that enables enables us to be able to provide some of that gap support for those individuals um, that uh, that may not have access to services. Um, so we do support uh, military spouses and. And again, family being defined whatever the way that the veteran does. It doesn't mean you have to be, um, you know, officially married. It can just be long-term girlfriend. It can be, you know, just a caregiver uh, for a veteran. Uh, and so in, in that way, we see ourselves as a, a complementary to the VA. Um, we are a, a choice provider for both uh, medications and, and mental health. Um, I, I sort of term ourselves as a civilian vet center. So if, if your listeners are familiar with the way the vet centers work, um, that's really what we're trying to do um, to be able to sort of cover those gaps that, that may exist in the community. Yeah, I love that. And obviously also I want to say congratulations. The 20 years is, <laughs> is no small feat. No, no. And, and especially, I mean, it, and, and many people, you know, it, many veterans and um, it sometimes doesn't work that long, uh, you know, and, and especially with our multiple deployments. I think there was not a, a solid year between 2006 and 2013 where I wasn't gone for most, if not all of the year. Um, and so, you know, working through that can definitely put a strain on the relationship. Um, but also, and, and you know as well as I do, the studies show that um, a strong supportive relationship um, it can also be beneficial to veteran mental health, right? You know, so veteran mental health impacts the family and the family impacts veteran mental health. And so addressing, as you said, the holistic, the entire comprehensive part of it um, is, is really important. You know, we also keep touching on this idea of your lived experience and expertise. And I was wondering, you know, um, a lot of the research and a lot of our experience uh, working with veterans is that sometimes the transition out of the military is one of the most difficult times. And um, also, we know in some cases, this uh, is a period of heightened suicide risk. So I was just wondering, you know, how your experience was and, and what any lessons learned or, or things you wanted to say about your transition experience out of the military. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I tend to say that I had an atypical transition. In looking at it, I recognized that I was extremely blessed um, to to be able to have quote unquote, a smooth transition. But if I were just looking at it myself, I, I didn't think it was very smooth. Um, one of the things I think that was different for me is um, I knew I was already working towards what was going to happen after the military for five years before um, I had gotten out. So, you know, I, I generally say that I started to plan my transition at seven years, which is very, very atypical. Um, at that point, I didn't think that I was going to be a mental health professional, but I started thinking about what is life going to be like? I'm not going to be in the military. Um, I have a, a colleague of mine that says, when we're in the military, we need to parallel plan. What is our path if we stay in and what is our path when we stay out? And the sooner we can do that is, um, is, is better. Um, and, and so after my second Afghanistan tour, I came back. I knew um, that you know, my time was winding down. Um, I got sent to an absolutely great unit, spent a couple more years in than I had originally planned, uh, and ended up doing 22 years instead of getting out at the 20 mark. Uh, but even then, when we talk about going fully into the transition, 
my wife and I had started talking about, you know, when do we drop my retirement paperwork? So uh, I really did, or we as a, as a family started to officially move into planning for transition um, at about 18 months before we got out. Uh, and so, you know, people that are listening to this say, wow, you know, you had a lot of time. It didn't seem like a lot of time for me. I mean, it's still even that much time seemed like, you know, what the heck am I doing? And, you know, like I said, I spent three years uh, in the 82nd. Um, a lot of it felt like I was jumping out of an airplane without any, you know, knowledge about where I'm going to land without a reserve parachute. I mean, and it was an anxious time. Um, thankfully, I did not, um, uh, I was able to, to locate a, a, a job. I worked for about 18, 18 months as a program, direct, program director for a homeless veterans program. Um, which, um, which, which was really beneficial to me to, to sort of see how that impacted. Um, and, and then I transitioned into the clinical work that I'm doing now. And so, you know, knocking on wood, uh, um, I don't have the, um, a lot of the challenges that many veterans had gotten out when it came to transition. You know, I had my needs met. I've, I was able to remain employed and I was able to maintain my housing. Um, and, uh, you know, and I've got my retirement and, and, and all of these different things, um, that provide a sort of stability that keeps me from, or has kept me, um, from, from really experiencing some of the major stressors. Um, but that's not always the case. And I often say this, um, uh, this experience of when I was a program director at the homeless program, um, I had an, a resident of the program who was the same rank as me, was deployed at the same time as me, doing the same job as me, and he was the he was a resident of the program, and I was the program director for the program. Um, and so, you know, while some people may say, oh, you know, yes, you had it easy and you walked in from one job to another, um, I absolutely recognize the, uh, the beneficial chance that has come around that's made my transition stable. Uh, and I recognize that it could have been just one more deployment or, or even one more patrol or one more incident um, when I was in the military. And I could have come home to an empty house or, you know, and it, and it all goes into um, – some of it was blind luck and, you know, God's provision. And, and some of it was really a focus on, you know, very deliberately um, looking at the transition and sort of um, how do we set this up in a certain way? Mm, that's really powerful. That, that image in my mind of almost like two brothers that are, you know, the same and then, you know, this different paths and ended up in very different places, but that parallel there where, um, you know, just the idea that the transition is something that you started planning well in advance. And, and I can see how in a lot for a lot of folks that that isn't a luxury or, or maybe just they hadn't thought that they needed to. And so, you know, they exit the military and end up just sort of stepping into this new life that they hadn't prepared for. Right. Absolutely. And and again, you know, I'm not making it sound like, or I guess I am making it sound like everything was is wine and roses, uh, but it's not. Right. You know, yeah, I had five deployments, but 
but uh, two of the deployments were, were very, very significant. I've been diagnosed. I am diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, I've experienced bouts of major depressive disorder. Likely, looking back on it as a clinician, number one, it's something that's probably been there my entire life. But as we often know, um, those kind of problems get exacerbated um, when you're in the military. Uh, and so, you know, even then the concept of Young's Wounded Healer um, moving beyond those kind of things. Um, but you know, the best preacher's a former sinner uh, kind of situation. Um, and being able to say, you know, I, I know what it's like because I've been there and this is how not just I've gotten out of it because my every experience is different, but this is how to get out of it. Um, and it takes sort of that uh, the veteran uh, or the veteran's family to, to really step out and, and kind of um, reach out for that help on their own. So I want to transition now to talking about um, some of your writing and some of the work that you do outside of the Veteran Services Family Care Center, and in particular, highlight uh, one of your books, which has received you know quite a bit of interest online. It's called Combat Vet Don't Mean Crazy. Tell us about that writing. Sure. So, uh, and again, all of this sort of emerged out of um, some some things that really happened during the transition. So, uh, back in 2016, um, our organization went through a little bit of a shift, and and I um, had been advised to to really kind of start, you know, making an online presence and and things like that. So I started a blog and. Um, and, and one of the things, again, is that we're not really talking much about um, mental health. Mental health professionals uh, aren't necessarily talking as much about mental health that we could or should. Uh, so, you know, I started doing it. And, of course, for me, it's, it's satisfying for me. It's something that I used to do a long time ago. So this is uh, one of the things that I rediscovered after my uh, military career that I hadn't written in a very long time. And, uh, and I enjoy writing. So... Uh, that book, the the Combat Vet Don't Mean Crazy book, is is actually the second book, and um, really everything kind of ties in together because uh, the first book that I put out, that's currently an ebook, um, was generally a collection of blog posts um, that uh, that I put together um, in El Paso County Jail. On any given day, there's 150 to 200 incarcerated veterans, uh, and um, again, in our jail and, and other, uh, this is starting to take on um, around the nation, is um, they're actually putting veterans all in the same ward or the same plot, same pod or the same cell block. And so a number of veterans came to me and said, hey, you know, we want to start a group, um, and, and it is still going on, this group's name is Warriors First, um, but they wanted to start a group where they would actually talk about um, different topics, and they wanted a number of articles or a number of um, uh, information, you know, something like, you know, the blue book, when we go to AA and, and you read, you know, a portion of the blue book, and then you talk about whatever that, uh, or the big book, uh, and you talk about whatever that is, um, you know, the topic of the day. And so I, I originally put together, you know, 52 separate articles, and, and they use that, and, and they still do use that here in our county jail, and, and now they're actually using it at the uh, uh, the state level, um, uh, because there's a veterans cell block at the uh, state penitentiary in Sterling, and so um, that's really how um, the idea of the books came out. Is another way to be able to kind of um, communicate this this information. Uh, so the uh, the combat vet don't mean crazy book is a compilation of articles grouped together um, in certain concepts. Um, 
that, like you said, it really the audience is threefold, essentially the service member and the veteran themselves to help them understand, Hey, look, I'm not crazy just because I went to combat just because, you know, I jump at loud sounds. It doesn't make me crazy. It it means that, you know, that this is an experience just like any other. Uh, But also it has helped family members to understand or those that are working with veterans to understand that, you know, there is this stigma of the crazy combat vet you know, we, we come up against these stereotypes of the veteran as a villain, right? You know, and, and especially um, if we're talking about justice-involved veterans, but uh, the idea of, well, you know, well, well, you went to combat, so it's going to end up like John Rambo taking over the town. Um, or there's the stereotype of the, you know, the victim, right? The, the oh, you poor baby. I actually had another <laughs> clinician, um, and, and we were at a retreat in, um, in California, um, and he says, oh, I love working with veterans. Oh, they're so wounded and so fragile and, and you know, three-legged dog and a broken-winged bird. And, and me and the other veterans were very offended because we're, we're, we're not that. We're not victims. Um, and then also you hear it all the time that we're not heroes either, right? You know, we're, we're human as the rest of them. So that's really what the writing has been able to try to communicate and, and the book has really tried to do is to say, you know, give people a glimpse of... Um, what most people are not understanding about the military and specifically focused on mental health. Yeah, I'm really glad that you, you know, mentioned some of these stereotypes that are very pervasive, you know, and it's unfortunate. And I feel like we read about them in the media. We, you know, see, see them in, in character portrayals on various, uh, you know, cinema and things like that. And, and it's so powerful to hear you talk today and also, you know, to hear uh, all these uh, veterans that you may hopefully be influencing or going through, you know, a, a rough patch in their life to, to really see, yeah, combat doesn't make you crazy. We aren't a stereotype. We're humans. Everybody's dynamic and diverse. And, and I, you know, I'm just glad that you're putting that out there. Right. And, and these are the critical conversations because, you know, uh, veterans are thinking this inside their own mind, right? You know, it's, well, of course I must be crazy. Everybody's treating me like I, I'm crazy. So, you know, if, if they're treating me like a horse, then I must be a horse kind of thing. Um, and, and really to be able to say, no, this is, and we talk about it often, it's so much that it might be cliche, you know, it's a natural reaction to an abnormal situation and things like that. But we're emerging into, or, or really not emerging into, we're 17 years into um, a, a form of conflict that really is, has not been known in current memory or even through the, the history of our nation um, before we would talk about two war vets as someone as being in, um, you know, World War II and then Korea or Korea, then Vietnam or Vietnam, then the Persian Gulf War. Um, I can rightly be considered a two war vet, but it's it's simultaneous. It's not consecutive. Um, and it's 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 repetitive. Right. You know, the the World War Two um, heroes in, in, in definitely see them as that, you know, they went there until the job was done, spent three, four years in, uh, in Europe or in the Pacific, and then came back to their homes. And, and there was this time before and after, um, you know, it's rare for a Vietnam veteran to have more than two tours, um, definitely more than three tours. Um, now I am actually on the low end of, of individuals that have had, um, combat tours through the global war on terror, um, because I had, four arguably the the last one was to north africa not necessarily combat but um but then it was is going home it was coming back it was you know it was going there in 
and so understanding that the different environment that we're working in here, um, we have to communicate that to veterans and change the way that we think about ourselves while we're also trying to change the way that the veteran and the community think and talk about veteran mental health. Great. Well, we will absolutely uh, include some links to to this work so folks can take a, a deeper dive. Obviously, we can't cover everything in, in one um, in one conversation today. But I did want to talk also a little bit more about your writing and also your um, podcast. And, you know, um, it was kind of helpful to hear that your sort of your writing started off as blogging and, and then kind of morphed into a, a full full on book. And so I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about your path to podcasting. And I understand you're approaching now your hundredth episode. Yes, and and uh, just like with my writing, I thought that I'd run out of stuff to to talk about years ago, almost right. You know, and uh, and and so the the podcasting has also come out of um, the blog, and the blog had come out of you know what I was hearing from um, the veterans in the clinical space. Um, so as I had started writing, and some some of my um, veteran colleagues and some of our mental health colleagues had started to say, hey, you know, come on and, and have a conversation about the work that you're doing. Um, so um, I was was on a, a number of different podcasts, uh, veteran-focused podcasts, um, back in the beginning of uh, 2017. And, uh, and I ended up on um, a podcast called the, the Change Your POV Podcast. It's run by a, a couple of veterans um, who, a Marine Corps veteran, Bennett Tanton, and an Army veteran, Eddie Lazary. And they had had a show that um, focused on really sort of that transition aspect of, you know, interviewing. But they also every occasionally talked to things that, that you've talked about on your show, like moral injury. Um, and what's the difference between moral injury and PTSD? So after um, I went on their show as a guest, um, uh, they reached out to me and said, hey, how about, you know, you do your own show? And, um, and of course, I have a congenital birth defect against saying no to anything. Welcome to the Headspace and Timing Podcast, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes around veteran mental health. My name is Dwayne France, and I'm a retired Army non-commissioned officer and a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After retiring from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, then you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set correctly, however, it was just a useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing's not set correctly either. That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support service members, veterans, and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. So I, I said, sure, why not? Not, not realizing um, I mean, and not that it's, it's, it's you know, it is a, a time um, commitment, um, 
but it was another way to be able to communicate this. And so um, in, uh, in July 4th, actually, July 4th, 2017, um, was our first show. Um, we launched on the Change Your POV podcast network. Um, and my focus is really to bring on uh, veteran service members who have experienced their own um, uh, mental health journey, um, to highlight mental health professionals, um, to be able to, to let veterans know, hey, there are people out there who understand and, and who, um, who get what you're doing, and also different programs and how they impact mental health. Um, and so, as you said, uh, we are approaching our, our 100th episode, and uh, we, we just recently transitioned to a, a standalone podcast before we were um, part of a group of podcasts on the same channel. Um, but we've had some really great conversations. I think definitely you and I have had um, some of these communications between. Uh, we had Joseph Courier on the show um, out of the University of South Alabama talking about moral injury. Uh, and I had the extreme honor of having uh, uh, Dr. Sheeram again from the VA um, talking about um, uh, sort of the origins and the history of moral injury. So we've had a, real, a lot of really great conversations um, about veteran mental health and really about how we're trying to change, again, change the way that we're thinking and talking about it and getting it out in the open. Excellent. Yeah. Is there any, I know you just gave a few examples, but is there any particular episode that really has stuck with you uh, throughout the, the time that you've run the podcast? Yes, um, actually, and, and there's, there's a couple, and then there's one that's, that's going to be coming up that, that has really blown me away. But um, one of my favorite was probably one of the earliest um, in which we, uh, I had a conversation with Brian Dorries of the Theater of War Project. And if your listeners haven't um, heard of this, um, this is where uh, Brian uh, takes the work of um, uh, Philoctetes, I think, in, in the story of Ajax and shows how um, during the Trojan War, uh, in, in that particular play, he ends up taking his own life. And, and they actually, the Theater of War Project um, was, was created out of the Department of Defense um, and um, it really helps, I mean, it tells the current tale in old language. And, and Brian is an example of someone who had never served, had never even had military experience in his background, um, but yet had this certain uh, skill set and recognized in ancient literature um, the same things that were happening when he was talking to mental health professionals. And, uh, and Brian is someone, we talk about the civil, civil civilian military divide, Brian is someone on the civilian side who's trying to step into that gap and in many ways translate the military experience um, for the uh, for the service member or for the civilians as well. So that has always been a, a particular uh, particularly strong uh, episode. I've, I've got a, a lot of feedback about it about how um, it just his passion about it and then just how some of the the things that he talks about kind of hits home. Uh, the other show is actually one that's going to be coming up. It's Oh, so I just wanted to say, you know, I really love and find it so powerful when, you know, art helps share that story. And um, I'm looking forward to to checking that that episode out. So thanks for sharing that. Yes. I mean, that is uh, in, in definitely um, 
again, I think, I mean, I've had people, uh, friends of mine um, have called me up and, and said, yeah, maybe this is a trigger warning, I don't know, but but, but they, they were listening to it on the way to work and they said they had to sit in the parking lot for a few minutes and gather themselves together because it's that powerful. And not powerful because of anything that I did, but just Brian's passion about his his subject and, and just the story of the theater of war. Um, and then similarly, I've got another uh, show that's that's shortly to be released um, as we're recording this um, with uh, Sarah Verardo of the Independence Fund. And uh, and and as we're at this point, I think I'm I've recorded well over 100 episodes uh, and just her story, her personal story. Um, I've probably not have I've probably not been as emotionally moved as I was when I was listening to her story and her passion. Um, she is uh, a caregiver of a catastrophically wounded, both physically and psychologically um, veteran and just. Um, any one of the things that she's doing is amazing, but just everything all together, um, she's just the, she is an example of, uh, someone who, who can help influence other caregivers, um, and can really give a different look at sort of the costs of, of what we've been doing for the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're doing some, some really fantastic work, some really, uh, excellent guests on your show. So I do encourage our listeners to uh, check out the Headspace and Timing podcast. Um, Duane, I know, uh, you know, we can't possibly cover everything today, um, but I did want to, first of all, uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be on the show today and also kind of give you an opportunity to kind of put in some parting thoughts and, and closing words uh, before we let you go today. Yeah, thanks for that. I, I think the biggest thing that um, that I, I've experienced, and this goes back to uh, something we hadn't touched on, is uh, my father and three of my uncles were Vietnam veterans. Um, my younger brother and I are both uh, Iraq and Afghanistan veterans, um, and 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 there's going to be some long-term impacts. Um, this is the first cross-generational war in which um, this past year uh, is the first time that someone not born on 9/11 could enlist in the military with their parents' permission and go fight in the same war um, that that they literally weren't alive um, when it really started. Uh, and that's never happened, especially in recent memories, but, but even in the U.S. Um, the oldest, um, you know, we're probably five or ten years away from, you know, the oldest global war on terror veteran um, hitting 65 and the youngest global war on terror veteran has probably not joined the military yet. Um, and so understanding what this long-term psychological impact is going to be, uh, it's critical. And if we start getting out in front of it like, like you do with your show and, um, and we literally start talking about veteran mental health as, as common as it was talking about the weather, um, then I think that we're going to be ahead of the curve uh, whenever the need arises in the future. Mm -hmm really well said and some, some great, great thoughts to marinate on, you know? Um, so, um, listeners, I hope you really, um, took as much away from today as I did. And, um, Dwayne, as we mentioned, has a huge presence online. So of course we welcome you to follow up directly, um, shoot us some questions, give us some comments, feedback, um, subscribe to Dwayne's podcast and give it a listen. Uh, until next time. Join us for more interviews on important work in veterans' mental health, suicide prevention, and resilience. Thanks, Dwayne. 
No, thank you. I, I had a great time. <laughs>